welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be sworn in as the next president and vice president of the United States today, Wednesday, January 20th, 2021. This year's inauguration, which is predominantly uh, virtual due to the coronavirus, will be much different from others in the past. Uh, The ceremony is taking place just two weeks after the violent January 6th insurrection on the Capitol by far-right and white supremacist supporters of Donald Trump. People around the world and around the nation will be able to stream the ceremonies from the Presidential Inauguration Committee website, as well as major social media platforms. The Pacifica Radio Network will also be carrying uh, live coverage starting at 8 Pacific Time, 11 East Coast Time today. Donald Trump will not attend the inauguration, and instead he held a send-off ceremony of sorts at the Joint Base Andrews in Maryland, and he and his family family are off to their Florida residence. Up to 25,000 National Guard are in Washington, D.C., but there's trouble there because they are being vetted, and thus far, 12 of them, as we go on the air, have been removed for various reasons, at least two of them for support for white supremacist organizations. So there is some concern and tension about what potentially could happen during the inauguration. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are expected to take their oaths of office at noon Eastern time at the Capitol. According to NPR, uh, Kamala Harris will be sworn in by Supreme Court Justice Sota, Sonia Sotomayor, while Joe Biden will be sworn in by Chief Justice uh, Roberts of the United States Supreme Court. After being sworn in, Joe Biden will deliver his inaugural address in which it is reported he will emphasize unity and reconciliation in the post-Trump era. In a pre-recorded farewell address uh, to the nation released on Tuesday, January 9th, Donald Trump completely glossed over uh, the violent Capitol insurrection and his role in promoting it, bragged about his record on foreign policy, and also basically said the movement he supported and grew is only just beginning. He also didn't bother to mention um, Joe Biden or Kamala Harris by their names. Uh, Meanwhile, on the night before his inauguration, just upon leaving Delaware and arriving in Washington, D.C., Joe Biden and Kamala Harris led the first national tribute for the now over 400,000 people in the United States who have died as a result of COVID-19. He said, quote, to heal, we must remember. Our guest today, um, Emiliana uh, Greca, who is with the Women's March Foundation, Los Angeles, and Susan Burton, who is the founder of A New Way of Life and a campaigner for the rights of prisoners. 
we live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. President Trump has said his last goodbye after leaving the White House and flying off to Florida. At a brief departure ceremony at Joint Base Andrews, Trump wished the incoming administration good luck, never mentioning President-elect Joe Biden by name. I will always fight for you. I will be watching, I will be listening, and I will tell you that the future of this country has never been better. I wish the new administration great luck and great success. A goodbye. We love you. We will be back in some form. Trump's family and a small group of supporters were there to see him off. Vice President Mike Pence was not. Trump did thank Pence and the Congress. President-elect Joe Biden is attending church services this morning with congressional leaders ahead of his inauguration. Vice President Pence will attend the inauguration, so will former Presidents Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, and George W. Bush. Yesterday, Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris held a memorial at the Lincoln Memorial for the more than 400,000 people who have died of COVID-19 in this country. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. To heal, we must remember. It's hard sometimes to remember. But that's how we heal. It's important to do that as a nation. That's why we're here today. Though we may be physically separated, we, the American people, are united in spirit. In his first official act as president, Joe Biden will sign executive orders on a broad range of issues, from the coronavirus pandemic to climate change and immigration. He'll require that masks be worn in federal buildings to try to slow the spread of the coronavirus. He's directing the U.S. to rejoin the World Health Organization and the Paris Climate Accords. He's stopping construction of the border wall, reversing President Trump's policies on immigration and revoking the Muslim travel ban. He's also revoking the permit for the Keystone oil pipeline and imposing a moratorium on oil leasing in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Biden will sign the orders after taking the oath of office at the Capitol. California immigrants' rights groups are welcoming Biden's immigration bill, which he'll send to Congress today. Suzanne Potter reports. On his first day in office, President-elect Joe Biden is pressing for bold immigration reform, proposing a path to citizenship for an estimated 11 million undocumented immigrants. It would apply to people who have a clean criminal record and were in the U.S. before January 1st. If approved, this would be the first so-called mass legalization since 1986 during the Reagan administration. Carlos Guevara with the group Unidos U.S. says there's a lot of pent-up demand for change in the immigration system. We were pleased and, frankly, floored a little bit by how visionary this bill appears to be. The path to citizenship in the late years, that is the fastest that we have ever seen. 
California is home to 2 million undocumented immigrants, 200,000 DACA recipients, and 55,000 people who hold temporary protected status, all of whom could benefit from the Biden proposal. I'm Suzanne Potter. President Trump has pardoned his former chief strategist Steve Bannon as part of a late flurry of clemency action benefiting nearly 150 people, including rap stars and former members of Congress. The pardons and commutations were announced after midnight. Trump did not pardon himself, despite speculation that he might. He also did not pardon his children or his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. One pardon recipient was Elliot Broidy, a prominent Republican fundraiser who pleaded guilty last fall in a scheme to lobby the administration to drop a probe into the looting of a Malaysian wealth fund. Another was Ken Curson, a friend of Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who was charged last October with cyber-stalking during a heated divorce. Former Detroit Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick has served about seven years behind bars for racketeering and bribery. There were also more conventional pardons and commutations, one for a man who has spent nearly 24 years in prison on drugs and weapons charges, another for a former Marine sentenced in connection with a cocaine conviction. No pardons for whistleblowers Edward Snowden or Julian Assange or for Native American leader Leonard Peltier, who has been in prison for 45 years. I'm Eileen Alfandiri for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. This is our Inauguration Day special. And I'd like to welcome, actually, our first guest. I'd like to welcome uh, Emiliana Goreca, who is an entrepreneur based in Los Angeles with a passion for giving back to the community. She was also a surrogate for Vice President-elect uh, Kamala Harris. Along with being an award-winning event pro- uh, producer, Emmy devotes much of her time to advocacy programs for women's rights, Latino education, and gender equality. Uh, she brings her ten more than 10 years of experience, of event experience, to the Women's March LA. In 2016, Emmy founded the Women's March LA Foundation, a nonprofit organization, and is the driving force behind the official Women's March in Los Angeles. Since January 2017, Emmy is very involved in activism on both a local and national level and has served as the bridge between many organizations to combine forces in the summer of resistance. She has spoken at numerous, two numerous groups, including the League of Women Voters, the Hope Conference, the Hispanics Organized for Political Equality, Cal State LA, UCLA, and many others. Uh, Emmy, welcome. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. So, Emmy, I imagine a very exciting day for you and others who worked for uh, Kamala Harris today. And I wonder, uh, how how did you get into that? I mean, tell us, what did being a surrogate for Kamala involved, Emmy? <laughs> well, being a surrogate for um, uh, Kamala Harris involved um, talking about what her policies were and at some point defending um, that she was actually a progressive DA in California, um, you know, across the country. So I spoke to folks in Chicago. I, In particular, I worked with the Latino community. Um, as you know, policing in the black and brown communities is always an issue in the United States. And so I made sure 
that I represented what she stood for when it comes to um, climate change, police and race and health, you know, and where she stood on gun control, uh, immigration and, and women's rights, um, in particular where her record was as DA in San Francisco. Um, well, let me ask you this, Emmy, because you said earlier that she's who many of our listeners who would disagree with you. I mean, that uh, many saw as a weakness in her her campaign because a lot of prisoner rights uh, organizations, et cetera, were quite upset about some of the positions she took um, when she was uh, attorney general, including during the California prisoners hunger strike. So how, how did you deal with that, Emmy? Right. So I think I think Kamala had a very a difficult job as a first female DA. Um, but what she, you know, did do were progressive policies. Keep in mind, she still has to work within the system that is created, which, as we know, the entire system is created on 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 a, a oppression. And so, um, with doing that, it she has to make some tough choices, right? But People were also not comfortable and are still not comfortable with a lot of women in leadership. But when it comes to safety, they're even less comfortable with a woman t- taking that lead. Um, did she make mistakes and mishaps? Yes, as we all do. But when you talk about her record, um, you can talk about you know what she did for women and girls, what she did for the human trafficking of girls, and many of the many of the policies she set forth and many of the um, examples that she led by example are being led, uh, are currently still being enacted in the state. Um, she has talked about, you know, reimagining how we do safety in America. She has talked about, you know, figuring out a different way um, to be DA, I think, in hindsight. But I, I do think that it is a very difficult job to um, work in, especially within the system. She's working within a system that has already been created, and essentially she's doing her job. That's unfortunate, but that is what it is. Right. Okay. So thank you for that, uh, Emmy. So tell us a bit, though. I mean, later in the second half of the show, I'm, I'm going to play a clip of uh, Kamala uh, giving her acceptance uh, when she the, they were elected. The Biden-Kamala team uh, won the race for president and vice president, and she talks personally about that. But just tell us a bit about Kamala, uh, the person, Emmy, because this is somebody we're going to have to be dealing with for the next <laughs> four years at least. Kamala is a, you know, is a trailblazer. Um, you know, never in, in the state of California had we had a female DA before her, right? Um, never in the country have we had uh, um, a female VP. And today is, you know, by the afternoon will be the last day that that happens. So she is a trailblazer in many ways. She has empathy. She is, you know, really uh, uh, wanting to move forward as 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 far as it pertains to racial justice which is this is where um this is where folks believe that she has failed and so you know knowing that that she has talked about reimagining how we do public safety in america is a critical piece she um 
has the knowledge to do this. The other piece to it is that, you know, she is making history in more ways than one. And she, you know, she has to, again, um, deal with being um, a black female in, in, in leadership, which I think um, sometimes, sometimes we are more critical of women in leadership, but in particular women of color in leadership. So am I saying she's perfect? No. She has, you know, there are things that we still need to work on. Um, that she stands for, but I do think that, that when someone is willing to learn, listen, and and that is the only way we can move forward. Right, and another controversy, I suppose some fallout of her being elected was the replacement of the senator of her spot in California. And that was somewhat uh, controversial because you had a number of people who were uh, pushing um, for a black woman to be appointed and others who were seeing, given the population in California, that it really should be a Latino. Now, as it turns out, um, uh, Padilla, who is a, a close uh, friend of the governor, he was appointed. Um, just tell us about, about that and, and how you see healing that divide uh, moving forward, because I'm sure there's still some feelings and issues around that. Absolutely. Emmy. That 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 took on the that appointment took on a personal note on so many levels, right? And when we talk about representation, we need to talk about true representation, right? But it's interesting to me that folks are willing to pit Latino against black for a seat, yet no one is calling on Feinstein to to um, retire, right? I mean, no one is saying, "Hey, this seat is going to be up." Let's run for this seat. Um, I truly believe that that Karen Karen Bass or Barbara Lee would be perfect for this position, and I really am hoping that that Senator Feinstein steps down from that seat so that we can have representation as well in California. But I do think that I do think that enough women were considered. Um, I personally think that not enough. Not enough Latino black women were considered. So when we talk about how the appointment went on, I think that I think that it was it was a tough choice for Gavin Newsom. It was a tough choice, and and I'm I'm I think he made the right choice, given where he's at, given where the country's at. Um, I do hope that Barbara Lee or Karen Bass run for. Senator Feinstein seat because I think that they would win in a landslide. Right. Well, we'll we'll see how that goes. So, uh, Emmy, just in terms of your, you know, with the Women's March uh, Foundation, just moving forward, what are some of the things that you would like to see happening in this uh, new administration? I mean, already they've given an indication about what they will be doing, but um, what are your thoughts and, and what role um, do you think, how critical a role do you think Kamala Harris will play with all of this? We know she has to kind of take a back seat uh, to Biden and uh, perhaps just not say some of what she may want to say, but uh, to represent them as a team. But your thoughts on this moving forward? I think that 
she is going to be a little more involved than most vice presidents have been. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. How old is Mr. Joe Biden, the president, in a few minutes here? But um, I do think that she has um, a critical role here. I also think that, in my personal opinion, I think she carried this race. I think the amount of momentum um, that was out there um, was because of Kamala Harris, right? I mean, here I am sitting at six o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning, and my Chuck Taylors and my and my pearls because it, this is so historic for women, for Black women. She is the daughter of immigrants. Um, that is like as close to the American dream as you can get when you think of immigrants. So I think that she will have a critical role. Yes, most VPs do take a back seat. Um, However, I do think that we are expecting more of her than what we usually expect of a VP. So um, my, my big thing is, is immigration. I think when we think about what, what the horrific um, family separation that has happened at the borders, um, I think that is something that should be handled. And obviously the vaccine with COVID. Um, so they, both Biden and Harris, are inheriting um, you know, a a chaotic, honestly, a chaotic country. We just had an insurrection. The uh, exiting president did not even acknowledge them in his speech this morning. So they have a lot of work to do as far as healing the country and then moving forward with their policy uh, and agenda. Um, so I think... I think first things first is the COVID vaccine, um, the kids in cages at the border, and, you know, and then talking about health care, how we are all going to have pre-existing conditions um, with COVID. So there are so many issues that they need to tackle in the first 100 days. Right. Well, Emmy, uh, thank you so much for your um, work. Uh, with the Women's March and for joining us. And uh, clearly, you all did a very successful job um, with your work as a surrogate, uh, you and others who were part of the Kamala Harris team. And you're absolutely right, though she was born in Oakland, uh, her mother um, is from uh, Tamil Nandu State in India, and I hear that, that her, their village they're from is celebrating uh, today. And she was a biologist, and her father, Donald J. Harris, uh, Stanford University professor emeritus of economics, he's from Jamaica. Um, and they, of course, as you know, separated, and so she lived mainly as a grew up with a single mother, but is very proud uh, to say that she is a black woman, um, a, a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha uh, sorority, which is a huge sorority um, among black women, and also takes a lot of pride in her Indian heritage. So uh, there you go. <laughs> um, right. Uh, mixed race person, but strongly identifying as a black woman. Well, Emmy, thank you so very much for joining us. And oh, Emmy, before you go, how can people get information about the Women's March and what you all are up to? If you want to go into our website, Women's March Action, which is our political arm, we are hosting a live watch party with commentary today at Facebook, uh, WM Action, so Women's March Action. Um, follow us. Um, 
send us an email and um, let's let's talk. All righty. Thank you. Thank you, Emmy. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And Susan Burton is waiting in the wings to uh, speak with us. But what we're going to do, we're going to go to our weekly Earth Minute uh, and um, take our station break. And then we'll be joined by Susan. Let's go to the Earth Minute now. Bloomberg has reported that the COVID relief bill passed last month included a provision to give companies tax breaks for capturing carbon. While this may sound positive, it was denounced by Indigenous Environmental Network as it paves the way for ongoing fossil fuel burning. Rachel Smoker of Biofuel Watch points out that most of the captured carbon is bought by oil companies that use it to help pump out hard-to-reach oil, thereby extending the life of old wells. Far from changing course, the Biden administration is expected to roll out plans for climate action that include false solutions widely debunked by U.S. and international climate justice communities, from burning trees for electricity to using forests and oceans as carbon sinks. The purpose of these schemes? Continue business as usual. Real just climate action must address the roots of the climate crisis and transform the system that drives it not subsidize and enable the very same people causing catastrophic climate change to pursue enhanced profits under a green veneer. For the Earth Minute and the Sojourner Truth Show, this is Ann Peterman from Global Justice Ecology Project. I can't keep song quiet by milk this is margaret prescott host of sojourner truth check out our website at sotrueradio.org if you're a member of facebook you can like and friend us on facebook our handle on instagram and twitter at sotrueradio we're also nationwide and worldwide on soundcloud and today i'd like to give a shout out to our soundcloud listeners in southern illinois and international, I'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Uganda. And this is our inauguration day special. And I would now like to welcome our next guest who has a lot to say about what's coming up with this new administration. I'd like to welcome back to Sojourner Truth, Susan Burton. Susan and her story of perseverance and overcoming overwhelming odds is an inspiration to women across the United States, particularly formerly incarcerated women and women in recovery from addiction to alcohol and drugs. Susan cycled in and out of the criminal justice system for nearly 15 years. She gained her freedom and sobriety and founded a new way of life reentry project in 1998. She opened her doors to other women returning home from prisons and jails, offering shelter, safety, leadership, and support to those seeking to rebuild their lives. She's dedicated her life to helping 
other women break the cycle of incarceration, homelessness, poverty, addiction, and despair. And she became a recognized leader in the criminal justice reform and reentry rights movements. Susan is currently a steering committee member for the formerly incarcerated and convicted people's family movement. Susan, welcome back. Good morning, uh, Margaret. Uh, thank you for thank you for all you do, uh, Margaret. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. And Susan, why I wanted you on in particular is that um, the whole world should know by now that the Biden Harris ticket was really carried for the most part the election victory really led in so many ways by black women in particular. You know, only. Um, he only didn't get 8%, I think, of, of the black women's vote. 16, um, uh, Trump got 16% of the black male vote, which is a bit concerning. But we know that the whole issue of mass incarceration, uh, the criminal justice system, the relationship between law enforcement and communities of color, very, very raw, very, very much on the agenda. And indeed, Joe Biden said one of the reasons he decided to run for president was after Charlottesville, when Donald Trump said, oh, they're good people on both sides. We saw Trump whip up really uh, the, the the divisions for, that, that were there, but, you know, allowing, giving them space uh, to grow and some legitimacy. So that's one of the reasons I wanted you on, because both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have kind of spotted records, to say the least, when it comes to uh, criminal justice. So I just wanted your thoughts they are putting forward in terms of mass incarceration and any thoughts or criticisms you might have on that and, and what you would like to see them doing. Susan Burton. Yeah, so Margaret, as a, as a steering committee for the former incarcerated and convicted people's movement, um, we worked really, really hard to um, uh, get Trump out of there. Uh, we mobilized across this country to ensure that formerly incarcerated people uh, could vote, like Amendment 4 in Florida. That was work with uh, Florida Rights Restoration Coalition that the formerly incarcerated and convicted and peoples and families movement uh, uh, did. We, we, we uh, worked with them. Uh, we worked in Georgia recently, phone banking and uh, putting up billboards. So we worked really, really hard to uh, reignite the victims of that 1994 uh, crime bill that uh, uh, Biden uh, pushed and, 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 and got passed. Uh, and we're we're working to um, restore our communities back to health and well-being, you know, as casualties of that bad legislation. And as Kamala and Biden comes into office, or do I say Biden and um, Harris uh, comes into office, you know, we look to them. Um, to have some some real uh, uh, criminal justice reform work done while they're in office. You know, I feel like for sure Biden, uh, you know, he has penance to to sort of make 
to to repair from that that uh that crime bill alone. And you know, Kamala has some history as a prosecutor. And I think nationally the voters have have awoken to the fact that the way the criminal justice uh, 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 system works does not help our communities, does not make our communities safer, and they're looking for a new approach. We're looking for uh, Biden and Harris to create the, the new a new approach to to uh, you know uh, significantly shrinking the criminal justice system uh, significantly significantly uh, placing resources in our community to allow our communities to heal and thrive once again. Uh, we're going to be pushing for that. Um, I think the voters will be pushing for that. And, I, I'm, you know, I'm definitely uh, uh, optimistic about uh, a, new, a new United States. Uh, a more just United States and a more um, connected United States. What well, I let me ask you, uh, sorry, yeah. Susan, before you carry on, let me ask you this though, because for a lot of um, people on who consider themselves progressive or on the left, et cetera, it's really difficult to kind of walk and chew gum at the same time, right? A lot of people were very upset with Biden for his support of the 1994 crime bill, even though, interestingly enough, his work as an attorney was a public defender in contrast with Kamala Harris uh, as a prosecutor. And people were also upset with Kamala and what she didn't do in California in terms of criminal justice and mass incarceration when she was um, Attorney General of California. Nevertheless, you said um, that the, the prisoner rights groups that you're connected with did indeed um, work to get Trump out of there. So just tell us a little bit about that, because I know <clears throat> this is an important balance, and I think sometimes it's a difficult uh, balance for young people and other people to, to, to have, to be able to hold what seemingly seem like two contradicting uh, thoughts in one's head at the same time, and in terms of strategically then how you move. Maybe yeah, a little bit no. of an unfair question, but Susan, I'm sure you've <laughs> given this some thought. <laughs> Oh my goodness, Margaret. Yeah, you know, we had real difficulties with um, uh, uh, Biden and Harris's criminal justice reform approach. And a matter of fact, we sent them multiple messages saying that it was not aggressive enough. And right. while we would not come out and say, you know, we're we're endorsing you, we're supporting you, we're, you know, we're not doing any. Um, any uh, uh, commercials with you, you know, you're not, you, you're not, you're not putting enough uh, muscle into your reform bills. But we knew, as all of our country, well, most of our country knows that that Trump had to go, and we need to get our people, you know, to the polls. We needed people out there voting not only for the administration, but for the different proposition and measures. Like uh, in California, we had Proposition 17, 
and it restored the vote for over 50,000 people. In Florida, 1.5 million people were taken off the voter rolls, could never vote because they had been uh, convicted of a crime. Uh, in uh, North Carolina, we had folks that could not vote because they had been convicted. So we done, we worked in all those states, and we won. In Alabama, we worked. Uh, in Mississippi, we worked. Uh, and so it's it's. It's the the presidential election, but it's also the, the 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 ballot measures and the initiatives that make our states work that we worked on. Um, so you know, here we are, and it's inauguration day. Uh, we just saw what white supremacists will do uh, when they don't get their way, which was which was absolutely horrifying. Uh, to watch, and and what was even more horrifying is to know that had it been me or you or other black folks in there, they would not have been treated like that in the Capitol. So <clears throat> we work. We are. We're. You know. We're. We're. We're here at inauguration day, and we're looking for change. You know, we voted for change. If 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 Harris and Biden is the carriers of that change uh let's let's let let's go forward and let's hold some accountability you know margaret i'm working uh at a new way of life and throughout the country to expand our model you know to create safe houses and safe houses was created uh, uh back in the 1800s for people to escape slavery so what our criminal justice system represents to me and to many others is, is slavery uh, 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 based on a criminal conviction. So we're in 14 states now. And, uh, you know, I work, uh, like my mother might say, my fingers to the bone that others might have a chance and a crack at life because this country puts all the resources into the criminal justice system, which is the the holder of slaves in in, in this in this 21st century, and I'm working to create safe passages and safe houses for people to come to after they're released from prison, after they've been tortured, after they've been punished, to heal and be a greater part of our community, and I hope. I hope during this administration that what 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 I'm doing or what needs to be done, it doesn't have to be specifically Susan Burton or New Way of Life that uh, is 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 uh, funded and is is supported. But I hope they'll look at uh, uh, resourcing communities to actually bring people back home support them to rebuild their lives and to be good law-abiding and contributing members, taxpaying members of our society. So, right. And you know, it, it, go ahead. 
Yeah, no, Susan, your work is so remarkable, as as you know, and my listeners know, you're one of my sheroes. I mean, I, I am just always uh, so moved and, and so impressed by not only your dedication and the hard work that you do, but also the effectiveness of your work and the fact that you always remain on principle, you know, principled and, and accountable. And uh, that is something that we don't see uh that much. But just we have uh, really about three minutes or so left, uh, Susan. And just in terms of Biden's strategy for criminal justice reform, I mean, along the lines of what you just talked, he, he's talking about creating a new $20 billion competitive grant program to spur states to shift from incarceration to prevention, uh, a, a number of other things. But he's also talking about eliminating uh, mandatory minimums and, you know, decriminalizing the use of, of cannabis, um, expanding and using the power of the U.S. Justice Department to address systemic misconduct in uh, police departments and prosecutors' office, and, and there, there's more. But uh, just in the two minutes that we have left, um, just your final thoughts on, on this and what you would like to see happen, what you think of what he's proposing. You know, we can talk about decriminalizing cannabis. The people are already doing that. You know, that's why I said the, 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 the uh, criminal justice, uh, his criminal justice uh, um, reform packet was, was, was too weak. We're already doing that. We need mm-hmm. to go deep. We need to shrink the criminal justice system. We need to uh, uh, create more in, in, in our communities. And, and I don't know what it's going to look like for uh him to put money into prevention, but we also have needed an intervention. You know, um, uh, here in California, we 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 elected a new DA. We have George Gascon, and we're working with him to 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 change the way they they are um, criminalizing young people, sending them to prison for life. Um, uh, uh, so so I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm looking just as we're all looking for something yeah. different, something better, something wholer in our communities in, in uh, throughout this nation. Right. Well, on that note, we're going to have to leave it there, Susan, but we're going to have you back because, as you say, you're going to be keeping a close eye on uh, what Biden and Harris are, are doing, as will we. Again, thank you for your work. Thank you for your expertise and all that you do, Susan Burton. Thank you. All right, Margaret. Thank you, too. And, you know, when I first met you, you helped me to understand what organizing meant. And I thank you so much. Uh, wow. We had the uh, campaign back, back in the 90s, the late 90s. And I just want to say thank you, Margaret. All righty. Uh, well, that, that really lifts my spirit, lifts my heart, uh, coming from you, Susan. Susan Burton, founder of A New Way of Life and working to expand that model across the nation. Just remarkable. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. What we'll be doing now for the rest of the hour, I did promise you that each day this week, we'll be hearing the voice of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. So we have a clip of him coming up. But I also wanted you to get a little sense of the Kamala Harris and uh, Joe Biden and to hear them in their own words. So what I'd like to do now is go to Kamala Harris, uh, a clip from her acceptance speech for Uh, vice presidential candidacy. It is truly an honor to be speaking with you tonight. 
that I am here tonight is a testament to the dedication of generations before me, women and men who believed so fiercely in the promise of equality, liberty, and justice for all. This week marks the 100th anniversary of the passage of the 19th Amendment, and we celebrate the women who fought for that right. Yet so many of the black women who helped secure that victory were still prohibited from voting long after its ratification. But they were undeterred. Without fanfare or recognition, they organized and testified and rallied and marched and fought, not just for their vote, but for a seat at the table. These women and the generations that followed worked to make democracy and opportunity real in the lives of all of us who followed. They paved the way for the trailblazing leadership of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. And these women inspired us to pick up the torch and fight on. Women like Mary Church Terrell, Mary Cloyd Bethune, Fannie Lou Hamer, and Diane Nash, Constance Baker Motley, and the great Shirley Chisholm. We're not often taught their stories, but as Americans, we all stand on their shoulders. And there's another woman whose name isn't known, whose story isn't shared, another woman whose shoulders I stand on, and that's my mother, Shamala Gopalan Harris. She came here from India at age 19 to pursue her dream of curing cancer. At the University of California, Berkeley, she met my father, Donald Harris, who had come from Jamaica to study economics. They fell in love in that most American way while marching together for justice in the civil rights movement of the 1960s. In the streets of Oakland and Berkeley, I got a stroller's eye view of people getting into what the great John Lewis called good trouble. When I was five, my parents split, and my mother raised us mostly on her own. Like so many mothers, she worked around the clock to make it work, packing lunches before we woke up and paying bills after we went to bed, helping us with homework at the kitchen table and shuttling us to church for choir practice. She made it look easy, though it never was. My mother instilled in my sister Maya and me the values that would chart the course of our lives. She raised us to be proud, strong black women, and she raised us to know and be proud of our Indian heritage. She taught us to put family first, the family you're born into and the family you choose. Family is my husband, Doug, who I met on a blind date set up by my best friend. Family is our beautiful children, Cole and Ella, who call me Mamala. Family is my sister. Family is my best friend, my nieces, and my godchildren. Family is my uncles, my aunts, and my chithis. Family is Mrs. Shelton, 
my second mother who lived two doors down and helped raise me. Family is my beloved Alpha Kappa Alpha, our Divine Nine, and my HBCU brothers and sisters. Family is the friends I turn to when my mother, the most important person in my life, passed away from cancer. And even as she taught us to keep our family at the center of our world, she also pushed us to see a world beyond ourselves. She taught us to be conscious and compassionate about the struggles of all people, to believe public service is a noble cause and the fight for justice is a shared responsibility. That led me to become a lawyer, a district attorney, attorney general, and a United States senator. And at every step of the way, I've been guided by the words I spoke from the first time I stood in a courtroom. Kamala Harris for the people. I have fought for children. The road ahead is not easy. We may stumble. We may fall short. But I pledge to you that we will act boldly and deal with our challenges honestly. We will speak truths and we will act with the same faith in you that we ask you to place in us. To the America we know is possible. The America we love. And years from now, this moment will have passed and our children and our grandchildren will look in our eyes and they're gonna ask us, where were you when the stakes were so high. They will ask us, what was it like? And we will tell them. We will tell them not just how we felt. We will tell them what we did. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless the United States of America. All righty, and now let's hear uh, Joe Biden, his departure speech yesterday as he left Delaware before heading to Washington, D.C. In our family, the values we share, the character we uh, strive for, the way we view the world, it all comes from home. It all comes from Delaware. The state that gave my mother and father a home and a livelihood uh, when they needed it most. The state that made my brother and sister and I, both of whom are here, understand that we could do whatever we dreamed of, whatever that was. And it gave me a chance when I was just a kid to be elect me to, uh, and believed in me and sent me to the United States Senate before going to the county council, after going to the county council, where Jill and I found one another and where she made me strong, as Ernest Hemingway wrote, in all the broken places. And uh, the state that loves our children and our grandchildren and loved our beau, and he so loved you right back. General Barry, when the headquarters was named after beau, I told General Vavil at the time, it means everything to me, to Hunter, to Ashley, to Jill, to our whole family. 
But Bo would be the first to say the honor goes to the men and women of the Delaware National Guard and their families who gave so much, were true patriots, defined by the courage of their character. And so it's deeply personal that our next journey to Washington starts here, a place that defines the very best of who we are as Americans. I know, the, I know these are dark times, but there's always light. That's what makes this state so special. That's what it taught me. It taught me the most. There's always light. When I came home after graduating from Delaware and then going on to law school at Syracuse, I came home after law school to Wilmington, to our county. It had gone dark. Dr. King was assassinated. Wilmington had been in flames. The National Guard patrolled the streets. And that turmoil inspired me to become a public defender, a step I never anticipated would lead me toward this improbable journey. Where 12 years ago, I was waiting at the train station in Wilmington, black man to pick me up on our way to Washington, where we were sworn in as President and Vice President of the United States of America. And here we are today, my family and I, about to return to Washington to meet a black woman of South Asian descent to be sworn in as President and Vice President of the United States. As I told Bo on that station waiting for Barack and Hunter, I said, and Ashley, I said, don't tell me things can't change. They can and they do. That's America. That's Delaware, a place of hope and light and limitless possibilities. And I'm honored. I'm truly honored to be your next president and commander-in-chief. And I'll always be a proud son of the state of Delaware. As Tommy, or better known as Chairman Carper, <laughs> Senator Carper, knows, my colleagues in the Senate used to always kid me for quoting Irish poets. They thought I did it because I'm Irish. I didn't do it for that reason. I did it because they're the best poets in the world. And James Joyce, James Joyce was said to have told a friend that when, it's come, when it comes his time to pass, when he dies, he said, Dublin, Dublin will be written on my heart. Well, excuse the emotion, but when I die, Delaware will be written on my heart. And the hearts, hearts of all, all of us, all the Bidens, we love you all. We, you've been there for us in the good and the bad. You never walked away. And uh, I am proud, 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 proud to be a son of Delaware. And I am even more proud to be standing here doing this from the major Bo Biden facility. Ladies and gentlemen, I only have one regret. He's not here because he sh we should be introducing him as president. 
Alrighty, and now we'll wrap our show up with um, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King from All Labor Has Dignity, this of course being uh, King Week. Diabetes didn't go to hell because he was rich. His wealth was his opportunity to bridge the gulf that separated him from his brother Lazarus. Diabetes went to hell because he passed by Lazarus every day, but he never really saw him. Diabetes went to hell because he allowed Lazarus to become invisible. Diabetes went to hell because he allowed the means by which he lived to outdistance the ends for which he lived. Diabetes went to hell because he maximized the minimum and minimized the maximum. (laughs) Diabetes finally went to hell because he sought to be a conscientious objector in the war against poverty. And I come by here to say that America, too, is going to hell if she doesn't use her wealth. America does not use her vast resources of wealth to end poverty and make it possible for all of God's children to have the basis basic necessities of life, she too will go to hell. And I will hear America through her historians, years and generations to come, saying, we built gigantic buildings to kiss the sky. We built gargantuan bridges to span the seas through our spaceships. We were able to carve highways through the stratosphere. Through our airplanes, we were able to dwarf distance and place time in chains. Through our submarines, we were able to penetrate oceanic depths. Means that I can hear the God of the universe saying, even though you've done all of that, I was hungry and you fed me not. And you close me not. The children of my sons and daughters were in need of economic security, and you didn't provide it for them. So you cannot enter the kingdom of greatness. This may well be the indictment on America. And that same voice says in Memphis to the mayor, to the power structure, if you do it unto the least of these, my children, you do it unto me. (laughs) 